Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well and happy new year to everybody. We've got a big story to start 2024. Larry Fink could be your next landlord. (laughs) Uh, As horrifying as that sounds, but I think this not only has ramifications for your freedom and liberty, great reset, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, but it also could have some significant ramifications for the housing market in terms of housing prices. And that's something that obviously we're all very interested in. So let's go over to this article. My goodness gracious, Josh, remind me to change my camera. Looks like I'm about three feet tall here. I don't know what happened over the holiday. My camera moved somehow. (laughs) But anyway, let's go over to the Wall Street Journal and uh, welcome to the neighborhood title. Wall Street designed it. Well, that sounds fantastic. Who wouldn't want their neighborhood to be designed by Larry Fink? Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) Oh, geez. uh, You can either laugh or cry. And as you guys know, I usually choose to laugh. Big residential property investors are finding it harder to buy in good neighborhoods. So they're building new ones. Okay. (laughs) Now, we're we're going, like I I said, we're going to connect the dots here on the Great Reset stuff. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. But then we also want to connect the dots on what this could mean for home prices moving into 2024 or beyond, not just in uh, nominal terms, but in real terms, of course. So first thing I highlight, big investors are bullish about America's family homes. So bullish, they're willing to build entire new neighborhoods as it becomes harder to buy homes from the usual channels. So. A lot of people ask me about, Josh, what is that paper that's very, very popular about how you'll own nothing, you'll be happy? Macintosh talks about it all the The time. The Great Taking. The Great Taking. Thank you. And I I get this in the comments of the videos. And actually, I got it last night in our Rebel Capitalist Pro live stream where we had a member that asked me specifically about this question. But it seems like almost every single live stream in Rebel Capitalist Pro, I get this question at least once. And I, I, I get it. I think it's a very interesting concept, very interesting ideas that we should be discussing. But I think this is more likely that for whatever reason, things get so expensive and people just flat out can't afford a house anymore. So they have to rent. And who's your landlord? It's Larry Fink. Okay, well, Larry Fink, to a certain degree, is dependent upon Jerome Powell. So if Jerome Powell rug pulls Larry Fink, and it, I'm not, and it might not be Jerome Powell, just let's say that we've got a new Fed chair who turns out to be some sort of sociopath or is, is in the, the back pocket of Klaus, and they give Larry Fink the old rug pull. Okay, well, then a lot of those assets, or maybe even all of those assets, go onto the Fed's balance sheet. I mean, look at what they're doing in the Bank of Japan right now. They've not only purchased bonds, but they've also purchased stocks. So in the future, and maybe this doesn't happen next year, but within the next 10 years, is it outrageous to think that these central banks might not just, or might just buy entire companies, especially the systemically important companies like BlackRock, 
that manages what well, I don't know right off the top of my head, but call it, you know, I mean, literally trillions of dollars. And I know that BlackRock themselves might not be buying these homes, but I'm kind of using them as a proxy, whether it's BlackRock, Blackstone, whatever it is, it, it, it's Wall Street and Wall Street, um, especially the, uh, in times of crisis, they turn right to Jerome Powell or whomever is the central banker. And of course, this creates a perverse incentive structure where if you are a a sociopath, let's say, and if you believe in central planning, then you would have an incentive to rug pull whomever it is to get those assets onto your balance sheet because you think that they could be managed better if they were government owned, right? Why, Why should we allow Larry Fink to own all these homes when he's just making a profit? What we could do is we could take all those homes onto the Fed's balance sheet, and now all of a sudden, we could charge a lot less rent because we don't need a profit. The Fed, And let's remember, the Fed can create their own bank reserves, so theoretically, they have an infinite balance sheet. You see, I have an, a, a fantastic imagination when it comes to making an argument for a central planner. <laughs> I get a lot of practice at it, but I think that if you actually kind of take that to its logical conclusion you think that through i don't think that uh or i think that would be the pitch that we would likely hear from the authoritarian types if i put my authoritarian hat on that's the pitch that i would give so anyway getting back to the article wall street investors in housing can't meet their return hurdles so what are they doing they're searching for yield and now we're switching from great reset stuff over to home home prices and the U.S. real estate market, excuse me. And uh, when has this turned bad? Or when has this ended well, I should say? When Wall Street investors, they can't get a yield doing things prudently, and therefore they need to go further, 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 further out the risk curve. Keep going. During the third quarter of 2023, big landlords that own anywhere from 100 to more than 1,000 housing units purchased just, just 1% of <laughs> all, all homes. This is down from roughly 3%. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot. But remember, if they're doing this year after year after year, it compounds to a point where they own a very significant amount of the housing stock in the United States. Let's get down to this this chart, and you'll see exactly what I'm referring to. Look at the amount of, let's say, large investors, these Wall Street types, the Blackstones, the Blackrocks, that have purchased or that were purchasing homes like in the early 2000s. That would be zero. Nada. But look at what happens starting in 2012. And you got to give them credit there. Their timing was pretty darn good. They timed the, time the bottom of the market and not to toot my own horn, but that's exactly when I started buying rental properties as well. <laughs> but anyway, and, and this is represented by the gray shaded area. And now we've got the black shaded area, which is iBuyers. Now, I don't know exactly what iBuyers are because they didn't. I read this article a few times, believe it or not. I actually did some homework prior to going live. And I could not see in this article where they actually defined what an iBuyer is. Josh, can you do me a favor while I'm going through the rest of this article? Can you try to look this up and see what an iBuyer 
and is and how that is different from you know just a large investor that is buying online i mean anyway let's see if we can find that out but regardless let's just focus on the gold which is mom and pop landlords and then look at the large investors these institutional guys and you can see that you know this really starts in 2012 and it has continued and it has not gone down well, it has recently, but look at what it did during the Cervasa sickness or after. It went way up, way up. So I wish they would have given us a chart that showed the percentage of housing stock that these Larry Fink types actually own. And obviously, by this green line, we can see that compounds and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows to the point now where I wouldn't doubt it if they owned maybe 10 or even 15% of the overall housing stock in the United States. So why does that matter? Why is that a big deal if you're someone that is trying to figure out the direction of home prices? As we know, the housing stock, or not this housing stock, but the homes that are for sale are far and few between, basically at an all-time low or very close to it. To give you some context, usually we have about 1.5 million homes that are for sale at any given time in the United States. Right now, we've got maybe 500, 600,000. So this is a big deal because if let's just say you have one of these institutional investors that, that, that for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe a recession, a hard landing, second wave of the banking crisis, what have you, have to puke up all of these homes. Or let's just say that you're someone that believes that the long end of the curve is going to continue to grow up or go up. Excuse me. Let's say that you're someone that believes that the U.S. can no longer afford the deficits. They can no longer afford the interest on the debt and blah, blah. This really isn't my view, uh, at least over the short term. But I know this is a lot of the people's view in the, let's say, sound money space, whether it's Austrian, economics, gold, Bitcoin, etc., and if you believe that, then you also believe that interest rates are going to continue to go up, 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 up. All right, well, let's think that through. Let's assume for a moment that we have an uninversion of the yield curve as a result of the bear steepener, which is the long end going up. Okay, well, that means that Fed funds right now is at 5.25%. So let's just say the 10-year treasury is now trading at 7%. Remember, long end of the curve going up, right? Inflation, growth expectations, the feds or the government is going to run these massive wartime deficits and there's just not going to be enough buyers for that debt. And therefore, you've got a supply demand imbalance, supply way outweighs demand. What happens to prices? They go down. Prices go down, interest rates go up. Okay, great. So let's just say that right now you could get, a, or not you, but Blackstone, Larry Fink, could get an 8, 9, 10% return buying a 10-year treasury. You think, and you say, George, but you've got inflation risk. Okay, you don't think that you've got downside risk when you buy a house when prices are at all-time highs? Of course you do. It's the exact same risk. In fact, I would probably argue there's just as much risk with the, the, the housing stuff as there is buying a bond relative to consumer price inflation. So what do you want to deal with? You want to deal with tenants and to toilets at a seven or eight percent return, or do you want to just buy a ten-year treasury at ten percent? You see, I could go on and list all of these reasons why these institutional investors might come to the might be might choose 
to sell a lot of their stock, or they might be forced to from a standpoint of the United States going into a recession, hard landing, banking crisis, basically things that the yield curve has been predicting for the last, call it 15, 18 months. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. get back to the article. But the strategy that powerful investors such as Blackstone used to amass tens of thousands of family homes since 2008 financial crisis is running out of steam. Picking off individual homes dotted around the country is time-consuming, expensive, and inefficient. How many times have I said this? When these institutional investors got involved, and especially when you had the guys like Chamath. Remember, if you guys have been watching my videos for quite some time, You remember back in 2021 when the SPACs were all the craze. Remember that? SPAC this and SPAC this and Chamath was going on CNBC like every single day talking about the most recent SPAC and this and this and this and this and how that this company is going to disrupt the car industry. I remember that the day I knew that Chamath was more of a salesman than a businessman or or an investor is when he came out and gave like a five-minute pitch on CNBC. I have no idea how much he paid for that. Just to sit there and tell us how Open Door was going to revolutionize the home purchasing business. It was going to revolutionize the real estate market. It was going to disrupt the real estate market. I said, no, 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 no. Now, real estate is one thing I know extremely well. And I understand the problems with real estate. What's the problem with it? property management because you're dealing with people and renters often can be a pain in the butt. (laughs) So how do you manage all these properties all over? I said, this is going to be a big problem. It can be a very, very big problem. And with the open door, I think more specifically, they're involved with this house flipping. And I, I, I said that you can't just flip houses and just try to find a greater fool. That, that model of house flipping doesn't work. Because at a certain point, you le- you're left holding the bag. Now, what does work with home flipping, if you want to call it that, is when you actually build equity. When you buy a dollar for 50 cents and you add value to it, therefore, the home appreciates as a result. But that's not what Open Door was doing. See? So the point here is that you've got a lot of these real estate companies that were disrupting the business. And I knew they wouldn't because property management is so difficult. So if... These newer companies are struggling with this to the article's point with the Wall Street Journal. Blackstone definitely struggling with this as well, which could lead them or incentivize them to dump a lot of these homes onto the market, especially if these new projects work out. 
Because all these new projects are working out, why on earth would you keep all the ones that are a pain in the butt when this model is far more efficient? Why is it more efficient? Because what they're doing is they're building an entire neighborhood. So you can have the same amount of doors, but you can have the property management, which is the biggest problem, or the servicing, the maintenance, and all this of all these homes. You can centralize it. Now, this begs the question. I think we've heard of this before, and it's called an apartment complex. <laughs> so, so this has been tried, and it's actually something that we do, believe it or not. So why on earth are they buying, or why are, on earth would they be building entire neighborhoods when they could just build an apartment complex? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Seems like it might be another one of these gimmicks that Wall Street uses to sell investors just so they can increase their assets under management. And, you know, it's like the new shiny object. It's like WeWork. Remember that? They sit there and try to spin it as though it's this revolutionary business model that's going to change everything. It's going to disrupt the temporary workspace or whatever it is. When all it is, is it's, it's just a bunch of nonsense. It's just the exact same thing that we've had for year, decades. But yet, it's just packaged in a way that makes investors give that Adam guy billions of dollars <laughs> and then you know have him take all the money from SoftBank and then just have the thing go bust. Not only once, but twice, remember. Seems like this is kind of the same thing, where the Wall Street investors are taking what is effectively an apartment complex and all the benefits of an apartment complex, making it a little bit worse, and then arguing how it's going to disrupt real estate forever. Give me your billions of dollars, pension fund. Give me your billions of dollars. But let's keep going. The number of build... Okay, increasingly, Wall Street's solution to build new neighborhoods of family homes where everybody rents. Let me tell you another reason why this will fail miserably. Uh, so I guess the the great... This is the good news. This is the good part of them trying to steer us toward the great reset agenda if this is what it's all about, is they're going to have a very hard time doing it. Why? Unless the Fed owns everything, and, and maybe that's the objective here, the only way that you can actually make a profit here is if you are, especially the maintenance cost. Here's where I'm going with this. The maintenance costs are going to be astronomical because when you are dealing with actual homes, you can destroy a home, believe it or not, a lot easier then you can destroy an apartment. And the costs are much higher when you destroy that home. I have seen neighborhoods back in 2012 and 2013 when the investors go in and they buy almost every home where they literally own 80% and they bring in all renters. I've seen them do it at Section 8, believe it or not. And my goodness gracious, you look at that neighborhood in two, three years and it looks like it's a war zone. A war zone. Because you get renters and they don't care about the property. They're using it like a disposable razor. So now when you get owner occupants in there, then they treat it like it's theirs because it is. Because they own it. And you, you notice this when you go from neighborhood to neighborhood. That's why buyers don't like to buy homes in neighborhoods where everyone else is a renter. Which brings me to my next point. That when these guys wake up and realize that they're losing money on this because the maintenance costs are so high... They're going to try to sell these. And I'll bet you the pitch is that, oh, well, this is easy because if we need liquidity, then we can just sell these to owner-occupants. Eh, wrong. Because owner-occupants aren't going to want to buy this. I, I can tell you from experience. 
And then what's going to happen? Then, you know, they go bust. And maybe that's how these properties go to the Fed's balance sheet because they're no longer profitable or they're, they're, they're just hemorrhaging money, these institutional investors, because they don't understand what they're getting themselves into. And then it goes to the balance sheet of the central planners. The number of build-to-rent communities is still small with 900 neighborhoods nationwide, each with an average of 135 to 150 homes, according to the report by the Urban Institute. But the concept is growing fast. The National Association of Home Builders estimates that roughly 10% of the new housing constructed is destined for build to rent. This, this is a time bomb waiting to happen. Take it from someone who has literally owned, not hundreds, but well over 50, 60 rental properties in his life. Maybe it has been close to 100. And there's the share price, which I don't think we really care about that. So there you go, guys. That's the most recent story from what's happening in the housing market, something we definitely have to pay attention to. I see a lot of uh, concerns here when it comes to how, let's just assume for a moment that even if the players, let's give Larry Fink the benefit of the doubt and Jerome Powell and Janet Yellen and Joe Biden, and Justin Trudeau, and all these people. Let's just say that they have good intentions. Okay, fine. But where this path puts us on a trajectory where even if the people that are in charge right now are completely benevolent, in the future, you're going to get someone that isn't. And that's when the real problem arises. You see, that's what we need to be cognizant of. It's putting us on that slippery slope where you can have a tyrant, you can have authoritarian, you can have a Stalin or whatever it is type of person take over. And now all of a sudden, because all this power has been consolidated, now you got a big problem. Now you got a real big problem. And if more and more and more and more of the housing stock gets consolidated to the Larry Fink types, that just makes it a, a ripe opportunity for someone who has malicious intentions to come in, do the rug pull, and now all of a sudden you own nothing, right? And Or now all of a sudden that you were already renting, so you don't own anything, but now all of a sudden the central planners have the title and the property, and you don't, and they undercut the rents, so it puts you in a position where you can never leave. You, you know, I'm going to go off on a quick tangent here because I think it's applicable. Think about all the people that are in rent-controlled units in New York and in San Francisco. You hear this all the time where people have been living in the same place for like 10, 15 years and they will not move. You, they will not move. Why? Because they're paying under market rents, way under. Okay, great. So wouldn't this be a, a, an incredible argument to have all of these properties going to the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve that doesn't need a profit? They can be. They can have negative equity. Their balance sheet is infinite. So think about it. If Larry Fink has to charge two thousand dollars in rent for a property to make it pencil out, Jerome Powell could charge five hundred bucks. It doesn't matter. And who's not going to like that? You see, this is how I think. This is a higher. I think this has a higher probability of coming to fruition, as far as how everyone will be renting, than uh, the government just stealing the properties directly from people because I think that would bring up the pitchforks, pitchforks and the torches. 
So just something to think about there. But kind of more importantly over the short term, I think we need to understand what's happening behind the scenes in the real estate market, who's buying, who's selling, and think about how this could play out if interest rates do go up, if we have a recession, or if these big institutional buyers choose or are forced to sell in the future, especially when inventory is so low. Because a slight increase in inventory could have a dramatic impact on prices, even nominal prices. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism. And oh, by the way, I forgot. Boy, huge news. I've got a new free report for everyone. It's georgegammon.com forward slash 24. And this is basically what I'm doing with my portfolio in 2024. And this is like an hour long, mega deep dive. And this is how I'm protecting and trying to build wealth in 2024. I share every single secret, every single detail, everything I've learned from not only my own experience, but in talking to all the people in in my network, uh, meeting with the big hedge fund guys in St. Bart's, I kind of distilled all of these, uh, all of this experience and these ideas down into about an hour or hour half, hour and a half long video, which I'm just giving out for free. 2024 financial game plan, George Gammon's strategy to protect and grow wealth in 2024. All right, guys, check that out. 